spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Welcome to a new spin on autism. Answers with host and international speaker and performer, Lynette Louise. Besides working on her doctorate in psychophysiology, Lynette has raised eight children, six adopted, and four of them falling somewhere on the autism spectrum. Laugh with her, cry with her, as she talks to both experts and parents and takes you through the often confusing, sometimes frustrating, sometimes overwhelming, but always fascinating world of autism. Hello and welcome. This is a week late because I so badly wanted this particular guest, but it's still a new spin on autism answers. I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher host, otherwise known as the Brain Broad. And today is yet another wonderful, beautiful, awesome, exciting day. All right, you can hear my guest wiggling around in the background because my guest is probably just so excited to jump in and talk. He's just going to have to wait a second. Yes, it's a he. It's a special he. Um, I recently was at a – oh, and he's also going to be our okay, 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 great guest giveaway. And don't forget to stay to the very end of the show where I will do stories from the road. Although I don't think I can top this fellow's story. Well, I might be able to. I'm pretty good at that. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see if I'm up for the challenge. So we're going to need a question, and we're going to need an answer, and we're going to need a story that's better than his story, and his story is pretty darn good. So my guest is probably, well, now he stopped wiggling because I mentioned it, but it, it was kind of appropriate because he's got something to do with horses, and it had like a, like sort of a, a sound of somebody who's at the gate going, geez, I just want to get started. I just want to get started. So before I let him get started and before, um, you know, we move into the questions and the, and the stuff about what he wants to talk about. I'm going to invent a question right now. Now, I normally don't do that. I wait. I let it sort of evolve inside the show. But uh, I'm going to create a, a question right now. And the question is going to be, is it movement? Is it balance? Or is it relationships with animals? Or is it all of the above that makes the difference for my guest and, and his uh, the people he works with? Oh, I hope I've made you a little bit curious. Okay, so there was a, a documentary that played, first there was a book, then there was a documentary, and I think that's the order. And I first was introduced to this concept and this story by the documentary. I was at Autism One Conference, and I saw, just before putting up Fix It in Five, which is my show, came this show, The Horse Boy. So I sat and I watched The Horse Boy, and it was really interesting. And for the whole time since then, and that was several years back, I've been wanting to meet uh, Rupert. So here we are many years later, and I go to another conference. Now, if you don't know what The Horse Boy is, you'll soon understand it. Um, and go ahead and Google it. Have a look and see while I'm talking, or don't do it if you're driving. Um, but, but The Horse Boy is just the name of the book and then the, the documentary about the story of this man taking his noticing his child's relationship or abilities when riding a horse and then him and his ex-wife or wife, I, I don't know, we'll get the detail, we'll get the scoop on that, uh, take him on a great adventure. So I'm going to let him tell more of that than I don't want to spoil it. But so I, I, I saw that at a conference, the Autism One conference. Then, just recently, like days ago, I was at a neurofeedback conference, or a, rather a biofeedback conference, and uh, guess who was there speaking? Yes, Rupert Isaacson, who is the author of The Horse Boy. So I 
can't tell you, I, as he came off the stage, I ran up and I grabbed him and I said, you're not allowed to talk to anyone else until you talk to me. I was like, not letting him get away. And I've been persistent to make sure he's on the show. He didn't even know we were going to tape right away because I just want to make sure I get him before he gets too busy. Um, so who is he? Rupert Isaacson was born, and I may be saying his name wrong. He can correct me if I am. He's got a great accent. You're going to just love it. Um, he was born in London to South African mother and a Zimbabwean father. Okay, already is interesting. Um, his first book, The Healing Land, The Bushmen, and the Kalahari Desert, was a, I'm reading this because I want to make sure I get it right, was a 2004 New York Times notable book. His journalism and travel writing has appeared in the Daily Telegraph, Esquire, National Geographic, Independent. Okay, he's our, what we're finding out is he's way better at me than me at writing and getting his books out there. Let's see what else he's done. He's traveled extensively in Africa, Asia, North America, me too, and now lives, I think we should get married. No, I'm just kidding. Austin, Texas with his wife, Kristen, darn, and their son, Rowan. In addition to being an ex-professional horse trainer, Rupert is a founding director of the Indigenous Land Rights Fund, a nonprofit organization that helps threatened and disabled Indigenous tribes obtain tenure of, of their ancestral homes. Okay, so land. So here's the thing. What you're finding out about this man is that he's more than just a father, and that's not a just anyway, but he's more than the father of a boy who was diagnosed as autistic and then did an adventure to try and reach him. And his place that he's developed is much more than just all about one thing. It's actually grown and become huge in its concept and its reach, and it does great uh, great work for people that are, you know, some people don't have to pay. Ooh, let's find out about that. So he reaches uh, many, many people, and it's becoming international, so it's really, really exciting. And we, what he wanted me to add to that little bit, probably he wanted me to read about the plays more than him, but he can do that for us. Um, but he did want me to add that he has three programs. He's got the Horse Boy Method, which developed out of what he discovered with his son, and it works with horses. And he's got Horse Boy Learning, which is a non-horse homeschool program, which is also really cool. And he's got movement methods. So now we've got basic, basic brain building stuff through movement. Now we've got something that might answer our question. And now we've got a reason to talk to our guest who's patiently been waiting. So I'd like to say welcome, Rupert. We're really excited to have you. And thank you for letting me corner you on this when you thought you were just going to chat. <laughs> I'm honored that you've got me on. Thank you. Good, good. All right, so I've had a playful introduction to you, but it is true. I did see your, your documentary years ago, and I've been interested in interviewing you for a long time. So I was so excited that you are such a great presenter. So I want to start with that. I have to say, when you were up there, first of all, you're funny, you're natural, um, your presentation was easy to follow. And I was taking notes saying, geez, I could really learn from this guy. Um, so if you all of a sudden see something similar to what you put on the screen in, in my speaking engagement, you'll know why. Um, you're very good. You're, it, it, was, it was very delightful, and you had us all really on the edge of our seats listening. So I just wanted to encourage you to continue to do that. All right, so talk to us about a little bit about your journey. Uh, tell them the story, so, but not, you know, like short, so that we can then get into the stuff about your camp. Okay. Um, well, you know my story. Um, my son was diagnosed in 2004, and um, 
I didn't know what to do, like many parents. Um, and I was presented with a barrage of very negative information, as most parents are, and um, very expensive information. And I noticed, however, that my son did better when he was outside. He just did better outside than he did inside. He tantrumed less. And I live in the country, so it's very natural for me to spend a lot of time in the woods behind the house with him and see what he got into, because as you know, a kid that's nonverbal um, will only show you with their body what they can do. What happened was he went to my neighbor's horse, and my background with horses is professional. I grew up um, competing horses and sport horses that were you know, not safe horses around little kids, etc. So I thought, well, you know, I've got to keep him away from horses, really. Um, I'd actually stopped owning horses, which was depressing me, along with everything else. Um, however, he forged a relationship with my neighbor's mare, Betsy, that was so tangible and so extraordinary that it led me to start riding with him. And once I was in the saddle with him, particularly moving at a certain rhythm of very, very collected canter, or what the Western people call lope, um, I started to get um, verbal communication. And this was amazing. So I just followed it, of course. And um, this was right at the time that his speech therapist gave up on him. I'm going to interrupt you. No worries. Um, you said, of course, uh, you would follow his behavior and follow how he responded. And I have to say that's not an of course. Right away, you get a pat on the back, a good daddy badge, because most people do not follow or or pay attention in that way, they, they look at the child who has a diagnosis, they think that that child should be different, and then they try to force them into a difference that they think it should look like. So rather than follow, they pull. And so right away I'm giving you a, da a good daddy badge. Go on with your story. Well, thank you. I'm wagging my tail and panting and putting my, <laughs> paw, on your, and putting my paw on your lap. Um, the, the thing, I think perhaps the difference is I'm a journalist. I'm a trained journalist. As you know, I've written for... The British press. I used to work for, you know, do freelance stuff for the BBC. There's very few people in the UK I haven't written for, etc. And one of the things about being a journalist is you are a trained observer. Um, you are, you, your job is to look at what's going on. And I think what happened was that that kicked in almost automatically. And um, then when I was being presented with all this somewhat negative information and also very much hard sell from a lot of therapists, particularly discrete trial ABA therapists who were very adamant that I must do their programs and I must pay the exorbitant prices of their programs. And they were quite bullying and quite aggressive about it, I have to say. They were not kind and they were not kind to my son. As a, as a journalist, I couldn't help thinking, well, what's the other 50% of the story here? Um, and then the same when people were saying, oh, you know, he'll never do this, he'll never do that, or autism is this, autism is that. I remember thinking, well, again, I'm a journalist. What's the other side of the story? I don't discount that what they're saying may be true, but probably not the whole truth. Let's, let's find out. So that sort of questioning is quite natural for me. Um, anyway, so um, there we are getting verbal responses. And um, as you know, I have a background in Africa. And my background in Africa is with the, largely with the Bushmen of the Kalahari, who are hunting and gathering group. Um, and the reason they're relevant to everyone listening to this program is 
we all share DNA with them. They are the original human society. Um, there is no older culture on the planet than them. They go back about 200,000 years and have been where they are in southern Africa for about 200,000 years. And most uh, geneticists um, agree that we are all descended from them. And um, what's interesting about that is they're very functional human beings. They, they have all these amazing... Um, very wonderful um, social structures that I mean they don't make war, they have gender equality, they're, they're really cool. Um, and it's nice to know that the most authentic human beings are really cool like this. And they have a very strong system of traditional, you could even say psychic medicine, um, which people call shamanism, um, which does seem to cure what ails them. Um, if it didn't, they'd all be dead because the, most of them live far from um, any access to Western medicine, which they will use, by the way, if it's available. They're practical people. Um, but it's just often not there, and they get sick like anybody else, and this seems to help them. Um, anyway, I, I had an extensive um, exposure to this over the years that I lived with them. And so it was quite natural for me to wonder about that when... Um, Rome was diagnosed, and uh, I was in the middle of a big land rights court case on their behalf with, with the Botswana government, um, which they subsequently, which they won. Um, they actually won the largest land claim in African history. Um, and I had to bring them to the UN and the US State Department the same year that Rome was diagnosed, and the same year that he met Betsy in 2014. So this was a big year. And uh, so. It, I couldn't help but think, okay, radical and positive reaction to the horse. And then he met the shamans. They came over to America. They did some work on him. And he really did lose a lot of his more obsessive behaviors um, immediately after the sort of rituals that they did with him. So I thought, well, is there a place on the planet that combines those two things? Um, it's not a horse culture in Africa. Uh, Native America isn't really relevant to this story where is it and a gut feeling well where does the horse come from mongolia that's where it comes from strong system of shamanism in fact the word shaman meaning he who knows it's a south siberian word comes from that area um okay gotta go presented the idea to Kristen, who's rowan's mum and i can give you the scoop she is my ex um but we still are such good friends we live on the same property um oh, how beautiful. and uh, love each other very much and watch Game of Thrones together and, you know, all that stuff. Um, and um, anyway, she said that's a terrible idea. You know, life is already mega stressful. Um, just going to the grocery store is mega stressful. You know, why would we go to Mongolia? Um, which is a fair point. And my point was, well, because our life is so stressful, we sort of might as well go to Mongolia, really. Um, we argued about this for a little while, and eventually we went. And... We rode from shaman to shaman, and that's the story told in The Horse Boy and um, the movie and the book. When we got back, we came back with a child who was still autistic, of course. We weren't trying to stop him being autistic, but he did come back with a major change. His three key dysfunctions, which were his incontinence, his incessant tantruming due to sensory and neurological issues mostly, um, and his inability to make friends, those three things he left behind him in Mongolia. Okay. And, and um, I want to, and, and I, again, I want to interrupt because I think this is an important point. So, so often we've been Hollywoodized and, you know, people would read or watch something and then they want to see him pop out of this 
the autism egg, as I always said, that we're, we're, you know, we're not little chickens popping out of the egg that all of a sudden they're not autistic and they go, ta-da, you know, <laughs> the shamans waved a magic wand and I'm like, oh, thanks for that. Um, and what I love is that this, this story is a story of hope and possibilities, and, but it's a longer journey than just that one journey. Absolutely. And it's just, Right, and it's the same with my thing that I'm doing, Fix It in Five, and people say, what do you fix? And I go, whatever we can. Yeah. <laughs> so it's really, you saw some dramatic change, but I don't want people to, to feel like, oh, boom, you know, you ride a horse and you'll get all better because um, no. that happens. We, Absolutely. It's such a myth-ridden... Yeah. yeah, no, there's no way we're touting that. Um, in fact, um, you know, I think, what, you know, I know, I don't think, we all know autism's a personality type. It's a way of being. Um, you don't stop me being me just because you take me to a shaman or you give me ABA or something. It's, it's, I'm still me, um, but maybe I'm me, you know, a bit more to my potential or maybe I'm me, um, you know, having been healed of a couple of major challenges. And I think this is really important. Um, there's a, a distinction in most languages. I'm, I only speak a couple of other languages, but in those other languages, there's the same distinction between the word healing and the word cure. Why do we have two words for this? You know, because cure to me uh, implies a sort of almost surgical removal of something, so it's not there anymore. Whereas mm-hmm. healing is much more about um, the, let's say, the grand amelioration of negative symptoms to the point that a condition is no longer a dis-ease or dysfunctional disorder, but it's still there and it requires, you know, constant tinkering and attention. And yeah. I think you know what, what this I is most people's think, lives, you know. Right. And what I often think about with that when people get lost in it with autism because the kids look so neurotypical is if you took a Down syndrome person, to cure them you'd have to change the chromosomal issue. Exactly. But exactly. to heal them and help them grow and educate is a very different journey. Absolutely. And it's easier for people to imagine in a visible disability than an invisible one. If also with, with autism particularly, if you're saying that you need a cure, you're missing the point because there's many, many gifts in autism. Um, and once an autistic person has gotten through the basic challenges of communication, um, sensory overload um, and, and you know, malfunction and some of the areas of the brain that need to be um, you know, retrained in some ways, and they, these are relatively straightforward things to do, um, then you end up dealing with someone who's got a mega intellect, you know, an almost photographic memory, and almost zero ego, which makes them super um, effective people. Um, and they go on to love lives, careers, etc., human happiness, interdependence rather than independence, which I think is healthier anyway, and so on. So there's nothing to be afraid of here. There's nothing that we need to stop, cure. There's no, there's no need for a cure for autism. There's a need for healing for certain challenges that we all have. Um, but beyond that, it's actually a very cool thing, and I think that's something we should return to a little bit later in this interview. So anyway, back to the story. I, I got home, and I thought, well, is it just my son, or is it other kids? You know, natural curiosity. So I started running unofficial playdates in the neighborhood. Um, tons and tons of autistic kids everywhere, so no shortage. And I noticed, yeah, there was pretty much a universal response to all the things we were doing. Um, in, outside in nature, this particular type of movement on the back of a horse so we opened a little center um, called New Trails, and um, not because it was an inspirational name, although it sounds like an inspirational name. It was actually on New Trails Road. 
and uh, so we called it neutrals and um we very quickly got overwhelmed and i realized that um even if we served 500 families a week we wouldn't even begin to uh, answer the need here in austin texas and we shouldn't serve 500 families a week because that would dilute our service so much so what to do so by then um I was working with a team, and we realized that what we were doing was quite systemized, actually, and it came down to six main things. And if you did these six main things, you pretty much, you know, got a pretty good outcome. Um, however, um, then, there, then there came another issue. Um, so we started training people in this, and we started training all sorts of therapeutic riding people all over the place, North America, Europe, and how to do it, because it's not, it's not terribly difficult. But then, you know, we started thinking, well, how is this relevant to somebody living in downtown London or New York or, you know, Dallas or even or wherever, who has no access to the countryside, no access to horses, etc. So we looked at the types of movement that were going on and we thought, well, could we reproduce these perhaps with play equipment, with other things? And we realized very quickly, of course, we could. And we were doing this anyway with my son because we were homeschooling him by then. And we were teaching him everything outside in nature and movement. And we were naturally trying to reproduce these movements that we knew worked very well with play equipment and so on. And um, started teaching the national curriculum this way. And so horseboy learning was born. And we start, started teaching non-horse practitioners how to do that. And we were doing that for a few years and even going in and helping schools and on and then we realized even that's too complex most people are not going to homeschool most people don't want to homeschool most people want need something very simple and basic that they can do and also we don't want to create a sense of dependence in our centers i much rather that a family comes to us for a few times and says oh i could do this at home and goes home and does it and, and sort of is independent of us so we finally, very recently, came up with something called Movement Method, and this is after working with some universities and neurologists and all sorts of interesting educators and so on, and we realized that there is a sort of a bottom line of certain kinds of movement that target the brain in certain ways. And if you do these, and you do these over time, you take a long-term view, like a, a five- to eight-year view, what you see is a massive, massive, massive positive um, developments in, in the brain in the prefrontal cortex which is the you know, reasoning and emotional regulation part of the brain which is sort of what we need to survive and you know have our intellect dictate what's going on and um, that's sort of where we are now so we have these three programs and it's all terribly interesting um, and we sort of continue to learn from the ground up because Rowan is still my mentor really he's still my trainer um, I don't do anything um, from the outside. I observe him. I wait for cues from him. He now takes a very active role in how we go about things and mentoring us and so on, even though he's only 13 now. But he's doing so well. He's so articulate that he really does, you know, um, tell us what to do. And we listen, and then we implement it, and we go from there. And so far, so good. And that's really where we're at right now. And that's really exciting. And just before we go into break, uh, and your son is also doing a little TV thing, right? He does, yeah. He's got his own web-based television show um, called EndangerousSafaris.com. So if you want to go check it out, write the word dangerous, put the word e put E-N in front of it, endangerous. Animals that are both endangered and dangerous. EndangerousSafaris.com, all one word. 
And um, you'll see he takes us to amazing parts of the world looking at animals that are both endangered and dangerous. We're in Romania with brown bears. We're in Yellowstone with wolves. Oh, We're in the Pacific Northwest with orcas. We're doing stuff with black rhinos. We're, you know, and it's him presenting, him scripting. It's, it's, it's really rather wonderful given where it all started. Oh, that's very exciting. I plan, I plan on watching a bunch with my son. Okay, so you are listening to a new spin on Autism Answers. I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher host, otherwise known as the Brain Broad. And today we are talking with Rupert Isaacson. I forgot to ask him if that's how you say it. So it, if it is. is you I, got it right. It now. is. Yay. <laughs> okay. Um, and he is the author of The Horse Boy, the father of the boy that inspired the horse boy, and the runner of the horse boy camp. So he's a pretty special dude. Um, got a great accent, uh, cute ladies line up. Um, and I have to remind you that at the very end, we're going to do stories from the road. Where I'm going to tell you a little story about an elephant apparently curing autism in India. So uh, maybe that will wrap our question together. Remember, our question is, is it movement? Is it balance? Is it the relationship with the animals? Um, is it all of the above? That's what we're kind of going to investigate in the second half of the show. And before we get to that, I'm going to come out of this break. And, oh, yes, and oh, guess what? Rupert's going to give away something. In. Okay, 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 the great guest giveaway. But before we get to that, um, I want to come out of the break with uh, the subject that sort of came up that Rupert had said he wanted to return to. And that's the concept that the that autism is a personality and that if you work with the healing and don't try to eradicate the autism as if it's some kind of horrible blanket that's been placed upon a child and try to remove it but rather integrate and heal, um, you find these beautiful, happy children. And I just want to make a point before we get back to Rupert, and that is that I think that is true as well in my experience. However, I've also seen the opposite, and the opposite tends to happen, and I'm, I'm sorry that I'm going to rag on a very popular therapy. Uh, we started that way. Rupert did it, so I'm going to just go ahead and jump on that train because my, if you're sitting there going, that's not true, they're very stressed, they're very this, they're very that, it's probably because you've gone the path of ABA and been very uh, rigidly trying to force the child to learn things within this model. And I don't mean, you know, you, the parent, are being forceful or cruel. I mean that the therapeutic approach is forceful and, and cruel and sets us up for all kinds of blame and guilt and, and a whole bunch of negative things that play out in very stressed kids. Kids that don't go that path, but they go a different path with some understanding and some guidance generally don't have that. So let's let's jump off of that concept and see what Rupert thinks. So Rupert, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think that's pretty true. I mean, I think I think what happens with ABA is that, ironically, um, the methodology of ABA is actually not bad. Unfortunately, it's the application that's often the problem. And what I mean by that is that it's one of those areas of life um, that attracts very rigid personality types. Um, it attracts frequently exactly the wrong type of person to be working with an autistic kid. Um, and there's an interesting parallel in horse training. Um, that uh, I, I train horses in what's called classical dressage, which also attracts really rigid personality types. And as a result, classical dressage has ended up with a bad rep, um, even though it's probably the best 
system. It's the oldest system for training horses, just because it, you know, a lot of people have applied a very rigid, very forceful, rather bullying approach to it. Um, so the ABA itself, um, the idea of modeling, for example, and responses and that sort of thing isn't, isn't intrinsically bad at all. It's how you do it is the problem. And um, I think there's, such a, there's some other problems given the price tag is so huge. Um, the first thing is anything that costs that much that you're, that you're asking, you know, beleaguered, broke, desperate parents to pay. It's, it's not kind. It's not good. It's not nice to make people pay that sort of money. And there's no need. Um, the second, much better would be to go in, train the parents how to do it themselves, which isn't that hard, and then leave them to it, you know, um, and that's all terribly affordable. But because of that, any time that you're charging 100000 a year for things, you better come up with some results, right? So that right. means that then the practitioners themselves end up feeling under a lot of pressure to get results quickly, which, of course, generally they can't do, or if they do, they're not, you know, they're they don't laugh. Okay. So, yeah. And so then they put a lot of pressure on the kid and you get into a vicious cycle. Um, right. But I do think that there is also a fundamental thing that's wrong with that approach, which is we're going to try and de, um, we're going to try and de-autisticize this autistic person. And I think that's a little bit like looking at a horse and saying we're going to de-horse this horse or we're going to look at me and saying we're going to not make Rupert... Um, a British Southern African anymore. We're going to make him Chinese. And it's like, well, you can teach me Chinese, but right. I'll still be right. who I am on the inside. Exactly, um, exactly. And when something's fundamentally, when you start from, it's sort of, I often, when I'm talking to parents, I say, okay, so if my target, let's say I've got a, I'm playing darts, and my target's over here on the right, but I aim over here, I'm not going to hit that target. So, yeah. you know, you, you can't start. All it takes is a slight change in trajectory, and you end up in a very, Absolutely. very, very different place. The, the other thing, as we know, is that most therapists are not parents. Um, there are some, and there ought to be more. And there are, of course, some ABA um, therapists who are parents. And in fact, one of the ABA people who did work with Rome, because we gave it a good old try. We, we tried ABA. First, we tried it and abandoned it. And then we, tried, then we did it again for a couple of years. It's not like we didn't try it. You know, I think people often forget this in the horse boy story. I do know what I'm talking about because we, we, we really gave it a good try and we threw some money at it and everything. Because, I, you know, you, you've got to, you can't just have opinions. You've got to base them on something. I but, tried it till the kids were teenagers, Rupert. Yeah. And it, yeah, I had to take them out of school as teenagers, and in two years, caught them up. Absolutely. You know, the, the, the difficulty, and, and the, the, the one th therapist who was a parent was actually pretty good. But all the others, I'd say, were sort of opinionated, rather rigid personalities um, whose opinions mattered more to them than the actual uh, evidence in front of their faces. And again, as a journalist, I was just like, well, you're, not, you're just not observing really what's going on. So it's not, this is, it, these things are ambiguous. It's not that there's anything intrinsically wrong with ABA other than certain ABA uh, um, attitudes to the autism itself as something that you need to cure, stop, take out, etc. It's just more the application of the thing. Um, okay, so let me know. interrupt because yeah. I'm going to disagree slightly there. Okay. I think that the very setup in the way that... Um, the way that ABA is structured in order to reward the child for doing whatever it is they're doing. So let's say they're saying, you know, 10 words in a row. Mm. So they're sitting at a table. They're asked to contain themselves. I, I try to explain it to someone 
by saying, pretend your child has a tick disorder, yeah. and you're asking them not to tick, and sit at the table, don't yeah. tick, and answer all these questions, and when you're done, I'm going to let you go over there and tick. Oh, sure. No, so, that's completely, that's, that's what I mean by the application. That's what right. I think we're going because to, to, to show a child how to put ten words together is perfectly cool, and there's a million ways you could do it. But the obvious thing to do is instead of saying to the kid, or me, hey, Rupert, you know, if you, listen, if you do this really boring thing you don't want to do, um, I'll reward you by letting you go ride a horse. I'd say, that's nuts. Put me on the horse. Right. Then talk to me. And I'll right. probably be able to listen to what you say. And in fact, we had, you know, we, with our horse boy learning, um, and our movement method programs, we just, we've just teamed up with this amazing guy called Dr. Alfred Ziegler from the University of Osnabrück in Germany. He's a physicist, and he sits on the Nobel panel that, you know, he's, he's a clever chap, put it that way. And um, he promised to cure me of my math anxiety, which I have, as part of our um, attempt to um, adapt the K-12 math and science for kinetically. Um, which we're doing as part of our homeschool program. And so I said, okay, well, in order to do that, you have to let me design the environment, Alfie. And he said, fine, what do you need? I said, I need ponies and I need the forest. He said, no problem. So we went down into the forest with me on a pony. And he started these exercises in maths and physics, which I could do, mounted. And then when I felt safe about it, I could get off the horse and sort of try it with sticks on the forest floor. And then when I felt safe about that, I could take it up to the arena and put poles on the ground in a more structured way. And then when I felt safe about that, I could go to the whiteboard. All of that made perfect sense. And that played out over about half a day. Um, but that's, you know, it, it, it's really all about the difference between intrinsic motivation and extrinsic motivation. If you, we all know this. If you, if you put things in terms of something that someone's already interested in. If someone's interested in Africa, you do it around Africa. If someone's interested in piano, you do it at the piano. That you can go anywhere from any point. But yes, I agree with you. That thing about saying, sit here and do this boring thing that, by the way, you cognitively can't understand yet. Right. You don't and even know why you've been made to sit here. Or you and you're ba right. You're basically saying to the person, and who you really are, left to your own devices, is someone that has these, all these behaviors, so you'll never really be like this. Totally. And you, my child, are a problem. And I'm God, and I'm going to fix this problem. Right. You know, any self-respecting kid will put a finger up. And yeah. if they can't put a finger up, they'll, they'll run at the wall if, and cry. And if they're running at the wall and crying, and that doesn't work, they'll, the lights will switch off and they'll go inside. And I think any therapist or teacher that sees this happen and doesn't reconsider their approach, I'll leave you to the obvious conclusion. Yeah, I agree. So, all right, so yeah. let's analyze this a little bit. Yeah. Um, so you've got movement therapy. You've got um, – the reason I bring it up is I don't know if you've heard of this, and I can't remember the name of it right now, but there was a period where they were actually getting kids to stand on a ball um, and try to balance while answering questions and stuff mm. because they believed that the fear mechanism that was – engaged while the child was afraid to fall mm -hmm. um, was making them more responsive. And there's lots of scientific reason to agree with that, but it's still torture. Uh, yes, and, that's um, torture, yeah. <laughs> um, but it does bring into question the idea of balance. And they were on then, the right track, but again, misapplying it. 
<laughs> right, exactly, exactly. It's like it's like human nature to go, I think, to go, oh, wow, that works. How can we do it in the most horrible way possible? <laughs> but, um, okay, so that, that's that's the balance component. And then there's been things for years like brain gym and, and you yeah. know, different different movement approaches. Yeah, yeah, and they're all good. Those Those things are all good. Brain gym is, you know, all these things are good. You know, okay. The, yeah. And then there's horse therapy. Lots of yeah. places have done, you know, come bring your challenge kids here and they'll ride horses and they'll do really well. So all of these things by themselves, let's break it down a little bit. So mm-hmm. the horse itself, have you seen all kids respond to that? No, absolutely not. Um, Thank you. And that's why we um, started the homeschool program, Horse Boy Learning. So even with Rowan, you know, 90% of the time he wasn't even on the horse. You know, what we were gonna, he was on the trampoline. He was running around after the ducks. He was in the splash pool, um, like any normal kid. Um, I'd say that the majority of kids that come out to our centers um, mostly want to spend their time with all the play equipment and small animals. And then there's a point at which they become interested in the horse and confident to approach the horse because they're quite intimidating big animals. Mm-hmm. And um, then when we engage with the horse, we have a certain methodology of how we do it so it's maximized. But if the kid never engages with the horse, no problem. We've got all sorts of other things we can do that sort of emulate the good effects of the horse. What I will say is that this particular type of movement, which we haven't yet talked about, um, you get to its maximum on a horse because of the way the horse moves and the power therefore the sort of volume with which the horse can give it to you. But there are all sorts of other ways to do it. And so it's a, it's a minority of kids that come to our centers, leap out of the car and want to get straight on the horse and start cantering away. Those kids, obviously, we follow them, we go with it. The vast majority want to check out our whole environment and our whole thing. And then when they're ready, they go to the horse. And then when they've had enough of the horse, they get down and they go back to the other things. It's a much more holistic approach. Um, but if you like, the horse method showed us what's working in this particular um, combo of balance, movement, and sensory environment, and then allowed us to say, oh, okay, well, what about the kids that don't like horses? What about the kids that don't have access to horses? Okay, how do we emulate it? And we went from there. So if you like, the horses showed us our purest method. And, but, I, and I'm assuming that you have stuff like trampolines and things oh, yeah. that help with the proprioceptive uh, I can break down exactly what we, what we do and what we have. Yes, please do. Please okay, do so when a, it, the most important thing is the environment. We have, we have a six-stage process. The environment is the most important thing, and 50% of your work is done by the environment if you set the environment up correctly. Then we work directly on sensory issues. There's a way of doing it with a horse. There's a way of doing it without a horse. Then we work on the movement-based stuff, either with a horse or without a horse. Then we work on doing something with that um, effect that that movement is having on the brain. So we do perspective-taking exercises, rule-based games, and we introduce academics. We go with the academics for a while in a very playful way. And then by the time the kid is um, able to, um, we go to our sixth and final phase, which is self-advocacy, where we're getting them to teach us about what interests them. So the way you set up the environment is the most important thing. Um, When a kid shows up, it's not a horse place. It's a kid place. So they see areas they can run around barefoot. They see sand. They see grass. They see a splash pool. They see porches with shade if you're in a hot country. They um, see uh, a climbing frame and a slide. They see swings. They see a trampoline. They see all the things that kids like. And they go to those things. And they see bunnies, and they see dogs, and they see goats, and they see 
or the small social animals that are going to teach them a lot. Um, in that environment, because it's outside in nature, we have no bad sensory triggers. So the known bad sensory triggers that set um, off the tantrums and the meltdowns include, but are not limited to, um, uh, fluorescent strip lights, which are in most therapy offices, most riding schools, I have to say. Um, very bad supermarkets, you know, schools um, flicker at 60 times a second. Lots of adult autists say, when I was a kid, I saw those flickers frequently, and it was like a strobe, and it would shut me down. Um, you have no echo. You have no smell of industrial cleaning solvents. You have no hum of an air conditioner or refrigerator or heater or furnace. You um, have no nor industrial machine noise. You, ha you take all these, these things out of the picture. And you let them move, 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 move. These kids have been in the car for 45 minutes to get to you. The last thing they need to do is sit. And it will cause them such intense um, stress to be made to do that, that the only possible thing they could learn is how to sit. They won't have any bandwidth left for anything else. So they must run, 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 run. So if you live in an environment like ours in Texas, where you have poisonous snakes and poisonous insects and poisonous plants and you know, hot sun and all of this stuff, you have to create an environment where you can let them do this. It's like the environment of yes. And the reason why the environment of yes is so important is you consider what the word autism actually means. It's a much used word, but very few people actually wonder what, what does the word actually mean, autism? Auto means the self. I'm standing outside right now on the phone with my hands on an automobile, a self-propelled machine. Autism Selfism, locked within the self. The difficulty is the relationship with the exterior world. The kid doesn't really want to communicate. It's an effort. It's a schlep. They'd rather not. So you've got to make it worth their while to make the effort. You don't do that by being nasty to them and um, you know annoying them and um, putting them in situations that are stressful. You do the opposite. You you put them in a place that they love to be. And instead of going, oh, no, don't do oh, stop. Oh, oh no, that's not safe. Oh, you you create safety. So for example. You, you make sure that there's so much vibration in your area that you work that the snakes hate it. They'll never be there. You make sure that there are no fire ants. You make sure that all those dangers are gone. And some people would say, oh, but if you, if you set up an environment like this, how does this teach the kid you know, to cope in the real world? And the answer to that is, well, 95% of the time, that's where the kid is out there coping with the real world. You know, we're not gonna, that's never going to go away. Right, no, Can we not for 5% really of the time set the, the odds in his favor? And the, the, put yourself in, that, in their shoes. If, if you needed to learn about, if you need to learn French, and you were sitting there learning French by the side of a large boulevard with trucks rolling by and somebody screaming at you, you probably wouldn't learn much French. But if you can go to a quiet place that you love and put on some classical music or something and so, you know, do whatever you need to do to learn, then chances are you'll probably learn French. And, you know, and then there'll come a time when you can be walking down that loud boulevard in Paris, shouting a conversation in French above the noise of the juggernauts, but not immediately. You know? right. And in fact, <laughs> what, I really like, what I really like about what you're describing is one of the problems, and we have to be really short because we're almost out of time and I want you to give away something, but I just want to point out that in autism, so often uh, people, they teach, teach, teach in this sort of isolated table environment, and then they try yeah, to teach wrong. the generalized skill and say that the challenge is generalizing, but you're teaching in the environment, so actually you're teaching a generalized skill from the get-go. Totally. But being generalized as it's being learned, and that is the secret. That yeah. is the secret. You know, and you listening have to, to the kid. Using. If the kid knows that you're listening, they will communicate. 
Right. If they know you're not basically listening, right. they'll just write you off. Right, absolutely, absolutely. And if you're using it for real life, you don't have to learn it at a table and then learn it for real life. You already learned it for real life. Like it's it's just very interesting yeah. how we we make it uh, dysfunctional and then we call the child dysfunctional. But what I would say too, which is so interesting, is if you take this approach initially, this kinetic approach, this kinesthetic approach, and following the child and doing it outside in movement and nature, we do it through treasure hunts. We do it through all sorts of stuff. And you can go on our website and, and look at the nuts and bolts of how we actually teach all this stuff. The thing is, what's weird is that at a certain point when the child is ready, it absolutely graduates over to paper and it absolutely graduates over to sometimes sitting at a desk and doing it and even taking standardized testing, but not at the outset. You, if one, if, if one, it, I think generally with autism, the, 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 the best advice one can ever give people who are going to do anything with autism is take the way you do it in neurotypical life and just turn it on its head, reverse it. So if you're going to teach top-down, don't. Teach bottom-up. Yeah, teach I like bottom that. Up. Okay, okay, okay. We're time for the great guest giveaway. You've only got four minutes to give away something and, and remind them of your website, how to contact, how to get there. And one last word of wisdom. Go. All right. Well, if you um, the giveaway, um, you can certainly um, have a book. You can certainly have a DVD of the movie. Um, I'll sign it. Um, and if you're interested in the camps that we run and finding a center or a practitioner near you or getting trained either as a professional or just as a parent so you can do what we do in your own living room, no horses required, um, just go to our website. It's horseboyworld.com. Three words all together, horseboyworld.com. Shoot us an email there, info at uh, horseboyworld.com. One of our team will get back to you and we'll get you going. Um, if you are in Central Texas listening to this and you actually want to come to our center, the New Trail Center, it's completely free. Our services are free. But wow. if you um, are outside, um, probably not. So best is we show you over the web how to do what we do so you don't even need us. So money's not even an issue. Info at horseboyworld.com. Just give us a, an email and we'll get you going. I love that. And people, also to get that free DVD or the free book, Mom 4, the number 4, Evermore, at Juno, J-U-N-O dot com, not Gmail, Juno. Uh, in the subject line, say Horse Boy, the first DVD person gets it, the first book person gets it. Rupert, thank you so much. You've been a wonderful, interesting guest. I'm really excited for everyone to hear you. And maybe you'll come back another time. And I'd love we'll to. Just, we'll just shoot it around scientifically and see what we think. I'd love to. All right, thank, thank you so you. much. And that was Rupert Isaacson. Can you believe how lucky we are to have such a gorgeous guy? Well, you don't know he's gorgeous, but I know he's gorgeous. You're going to have to go to the website to find out that he's gorgeous, but he is. He's gorgeous in his voice. He's gorgeous in his, his face. He's gorgeous in every way, especially in his attitude towards autism and his commitment to make a difference in the world. So here's the thing. If you really want your child to have a beautiful, loving life, I think you jump on this train, all right? Um, I'm, I expect to collaborate with these people. I think they're, for the first time I went, wow, this is a group that I think I should work with. So I'm real excited. Um, I really want you to check them out if you're local to, tech, to you know, if you're in Texas and, and you can avail yourself of free therapy, fantastic. 
So do it, do it, do it. Uh, the horse boy. If you Google that, you'll get it all. Okay, it's time for stories from the road. We're all out of time, so I can't tell you a long story. Here's what I'm going to tell you. When I was in India, I already alluded to it. Um, when I was in India, there was a whole lot of people, and they were like, make, they were they were so excited to meet me, and they came running up, and they're like, la la la, talking in their in their Indian language, and it was so it was so cute and 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 noisy, and it was it was adorable and scary because they were coming at me like a crowd, and finally they all kind of calmed down, I'm like calm down, calm down. And and everyone speaks English there, but, you know, they also speak other languages. And one lady stepped forward and she said, they found the cure for autism. And I'm like, oh, okay, what is it? <laughs> and, you know, because of why I was there, I was there to speak, I was there to share, I was there to do neurofeedback and teach play therapy. They knew that I would care. And they had just discovered that a boy started talking while riding on an elephant, and the news had gotten out that now they were lining up autistic kids to get on the elephant. At the same time that I was there, there was a special uh, eclipse that was happening. It was a, ver- a very unique eclipse of the moon, and, the, and there was a belief around it that special needs children would be healed if they were if you dug a hole in this particular beach, if you dug a hole and stuck the special needs kid in it, and so only their head is exposed. So they're buried um, up to the neck in this hole, and they're left there for 24 hours for the moon to heal them. At the same time, they also had a belief that if if God, on this same day, if God or whatever God it was, uh, wanted to heal the child, if the child should be healed, they would push them off of a... a the top of their version of a church. I'm sorry, I should be more versed in the names of things, but I'm in a hurry to try and get this done before the hour stops us. So uh, I can't look it up. So anyway, they they would push the child off, and if the child lived, then it, it was supposed to be healed. They also uh, used to believe that you rode a chariot over top of the child, but instead they were using cars. And this was all in a 24-hour period. It was like there was this crazy frenzy to help with special needs kids in all these unusual ways. And the only one that had any, obviously, the only one that really had any uh, weight was the elephant rides. So the elephant rides continued after this really crazy, scary day where I was running around going, I can't believe this is happening. And, um, And they did help. They didn't, of course, cure autism, but many children were benefited. It's about the movement, the proprioceptive meaning, the the pressure of the sort of the bouncing, the relationship with an animal, the freedom of the world, the the way that um, you know someone else is riding with you, right? They're on the horse in front of you, you're or on the elephant in front of you, and the elephant behind them. You're holding on to each other, you're moving together, you're out in the sky, and you begin a process of relationship in this easygoing, loving way. And that's the real secret. The rest is just all the details of how you get where you want to go. I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher host, otherwise known as the Brain Broad, and this is a new spin on autism answers today's questions. Is it movement? Is it animals? Is it uh, is it balance? It's all of the above. And it's beauty and its relationship and its nature and i am blessed to have brought you this show i hope you were blessed by it thank you for being here because without you i'd just be talking to myself 
Thank you for joining the show today. Lynette is the author of the refreshingly honest and at times hilarious new book, Miracles Are Made, A Real-Life Guide to Autism. You can purchase this and other materials by looking on the webtalkradio.net website and clicking on the covers. You can also click through to her Facebook page and check out any show you may have missed by looking in the archives. We'll see you soon for another edition of A New Spin on Autism. Answers. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. I can't hear you.